like Groundhog Day yesterday too, wasn't it? Do you know if the Groundhog saw a shadow? I have if no. If that clue. happened, I have no. Clue. You don't track this? No. Is there no all. DeFi prediction market on this? <laughs> for, for Groundhog Day. Hey, Bankless Nation! It's time for the weekly roll up. David, first week of February. How you feeling, man? Oh, absolutely stoked. There's so much that happened in this last week. I say that every single time. But again, it's, true, it's always, always true. And at the same time that so much happened, there's always also so much to be excited about. And we are going to talk about all of those things, what happened in the week, and also what we, are we excited about moving forward because there's a bunch of shenanigans going on in crypto, as always. And we're going to cover it this week on the Bankless Friday Weekly Rollup. Oh my God, so much to discuss. Uh, largest exploit ever. Oof. Okay, this might be a $300 million exploit and it happened on a bridge. This was um, actually the second largest in DeFi history, I should say. We're gonna talk about this. This happened on Solana. It left uh, 120K worth of ETH on Solana. No, 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 120K ETH on yes. Solana. Yes, yeah. yes. Backed by number. nothing, potentially. Backed by nothing. Okay, so we're gonna dig into that. Why did that happen? What's going on? What are the takeaways? Also, GameStop partnering with Immutable. So this is the Wall Street Bets Love GME, and they're partnering with Immutable to do a $100 million fund. We'll talk about that. More trouble in Wonderland as well, an extension of the conversation we started last week on this DeFi project that uh, was managed by a convicted felon. Also, the IRS, are they taxing staked income as income? Or maybe not. Maybe they're not. Only this you like would a, include that as a hot dude, topic is, of the week, this Ryan. Is, this is super hot, okay? <laughs> I mean, I want to know if my uh, staking rewards are income or not. There's a potential they might not be. And some guy named Josh is suing the IRS to push that, <laughs> which is Ryan, awesome. Ryan just thinks this is the coolest thing. <laughs> my best, my new best friend is Josh. He owns a fitness center, too. We're going to talk about that. Also, David, NFT season. I know you want to get to that, too. Mm -hmm. January's been a hot month, right? Mm-hmm. NFTs are up. NFTs are in vogue. Uh, NFT season it has been in. It's not the old NFTs. It's a bunch of new crops of NFTs. Uh, some new celebs. Justin Bieber is included in the new celebs that are aping into NFTs. What NFTs did Justin Bieber buy? I'm yeah. sure everyone listening to that is on the edge of their seat waiting to hear exactly what <laughs> Justin Bieber is up to in the world of NFTs. Yeah, You just got to front run the beeps now. That's the objective <laughs> in uh, NFT trading. So, so much to discover, to uncover as usual, uh, it was like Groundhog Day yesterday too, wasn't it? Do you know if the Groundhog saw a shadow? I, I have you know no. If that clue. happened, I have no. Clue. You don't track this? No. Is there no all. DeFi prediction market on this? <laughs> for, for Groundhog Day? Does this not matter <laughs> to people? I don't think the overlap is all that big. <laughs> okay. All right. Groundhog Day is a thing of the past, guys. Uh, we're gonna talk about all of these things before we do. We should talk about some updates from our friends and sponsors at Zerion. Zerion is something we've talked about on Bankless often. It's like an app that I check almost every day to see my DeFi portfolio, and they're adding some cool things. David, what are they adding? Oh, so so many things. They've added this fantastic graph that I actually really, really appreciate just to see like all the different tokens, the aggregate value of my entire portfolio. But as we expand into the multi-chain, multi-L2 cross-chain ecosystem, uh, Zerion is being the one-stop shop to get all of your money in all the places that you want it to go. So they have included all of the EVM compatible networks that we're familiar with, Optimism, Arbitrum, Avalanche, uh, and they also have other uh, layer ones coming soon into into the integrated into Zerion. So you can easily just put your money in the places that you want it to be through the Zerion user interface. Just drop down the, the and select a network, and it's really just becoming the the terminal 
to access all your money on all the bridges and all of the chains all at once, all from one single spot. So go load up your wallet into Zerion uh, and start doing your cross-chain L2, L1 transfer shenanigans today. And you got some bridging as well. This is a great place if you've got assets scattered all across different chains to see them all in one place. So you guys can find out more. The invitation is to connect your wallet and see what's up with Zerion at bankless.cc slash Zerion. All right, David, let's get to the markets, man. Bitcoin price, what are we looking at this week? Yeah, started the last week, started this week at $36,500, hit a high of $39,000 okay. and fell back down to 36,770. So, started. yeah, Full just circle. up up less than a percent on the week. Um, but you know, at some point in time when everyone's talking about bear markets, uh, being flat is good. <laughs> so, that's what we saw out of Bitcoin this week. Uh, and then turning to Ether, Ether started the week at $2,500, hit a low of $2,350-ish, hit a high of $2,800, but then bounced off that high, a little bit of resistance at that $2,800 mark, fell back down to 2620 where we are right now. Overall, up 7-ish percent on the week, 6 to 7%. So strong week for, for Ether. Love it. Bitcoin flat, Ether up. What mm -hmm. does that imply for the ETH to Bitcoin ratio then? Yeah, ratio, I think it was last week, it bottomed at 0 0.065. We are currently at 0 0.071, almost 72, excuse me. Um, so significant ground cut, like recaptured by the ETH BTC ratio. Uh, and gosh, look at that, just look at that just floor being printed. Oh my gosh. Like higher highs back in July, we hit 0 0.055. Uh, a few months later, but in October, November, we hit 0 0.06 as a floor. Uh, just last week, we hit 0 0.065 as the floor. So for the last, like coming up on almost a year now, the ETH BTC ratio has hit higher lows uh, consistently, which is really cool. Uh, very interesting as well to track, especially going to the merge. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, the bankless bet index, if you want a third, a third, a third, a little bit, a third DeFi, a third Bitcoin, a third ETH, this is the index for you. What's that looking at uh, like on the week, David? Yeah, marginally up on the week, start of the week at $98, currently coming in at $101, so up a little bit more than 1% on the week. There you go. Uh, get exposure to those things. Uh, David, let's talk a little bit about ETH, all right? Because Just up 7%. Just a little bit. The ratio going up. Um, it's going to be a big year for ETH, we think. And um, part of the reason why is because we have the EIP-1559 burn in full effect. Market is discovering that. Of course, we have the merge, uh, hopefully later this year. But one of our favorite websites, ultrasound.money, has added some new really interesting displays where you can see what the burn is doing by category. So this is the burn over the last day, and it splits it in categories. NFTs, DeFi, MEV, L2, and miscellaneous. And what's really interesting here is NFTs as a category looks like it's consuming 47% of Ethereum block space in the burn. So it's contributing to 47% of the total burn. Um, DeFi is 21%, okay? And those are the big categories that like everything else is, um, you know, after that. But NFTs are the product market fit for the product that Ethereum sells right now, which is block space. What do blockchains sell? Blockchains sell blocks. Really interesting to see that breakdown in the burn categories here. And it's it's 
more clear on what you're betting on when you're betting on ETH the asset. It's product market fit for NFTs and for DeFi and some of these other things as well. Any thoughts on this, David? Yeah, this is a 24 hour time frame. What happens if we zoomed out to like a week? Can you, uh, there you go. Okay, uh, and it stays about the same, about the same. So it's relatively stable. Uh, and yeah, even go, zooming out to the 30 days, about, about the same. Pretty cool breakdown, pretty cool to see these categories. Uh, I expect the L2 category to grow significantly, uh, especially as things like NFTs and DeFi move on to layer two, the layer one burn rate of these things is going to go down and be replaced by L2 burn rates. Uh, and so this is actually kind of a proxy metric for how much activity is going on on L2 versus L1. Uh, and so that will be the thing to watch over the long term. Eventually, L2 will start to just gobble up some of the block space share because when you make an NFT or DeFi transaction on layer two, that will consume block space on layer one ultimately, but via a layer two bridge. Uh, so that's yeah. what's going to happen there. Totally agree. These are the users of Blockspace. Many of them will be uh, layer twos. And by proxy, maybe your transaction will be rolled up into yeah. this. I also you as this. an individual will not be able to compete with a whole entire layer two blockchain for Blockspace on the layer one. So just capitulate now and move your stuff onto layer two. Hey, stop making assumptions, David. I'm sure we have some massive whales in the Bankless <laughs> listener group that will always remain on uh, L L1. Well, they can only remain on L1 if other people are also on L uh, L1. Humans yeah, want to be around other doing? humans. It's just you and the robots, Whale, yeah. so you might as well no migrate. company there. <laughs> this is cool, too. I love how ambitious this website is, Monetary Premium Track, and it's tracking a percentage of market cap of Ether versus some other... Uh, monies. Mm. One is Bitcoin, of course, and Ether is about 44% of Bitcoin in terms of value. But the next is gold. And so Ether right now is only 2.6% of gold. And it's tracking the flipping. So 100%. everyone pull out your calculators yeah. and multiply <laughs> the price of Ether <laughs> divided, divided by 0. 0.0026. Uh, uh, I'm bad at math. Anyways, pull out your calculators and do the math. <laughs> yeah, it's like it could get a lot bigger is what David's saying. <laughs> also, um, it's 1.49% of US dollars. And I think that's probably US dollars. I don't know. It's 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 probably, you know, one of the M0s or M1s of, mm -hmm. of US dollars. So anyway, uh, interesting to track that over time. Uh, another chart that I think is pretty bullish for Ethereum and paints this picture in a different way. Chris Berninsky tweeted this out. It's the percentage share of fees over time. Okay, this is block space sales and again what do blocks chains sell they sell blocks uh this is bitcoin in red and eth in green look at this chart david this Pretty tracks from incredible inception of bitcoin basically where it was all red it was 100 percent bitcoin were all the sales of course eth was not a thing and this is tracking these two assets side by side and then eth comes along to uh 2016 about like less than one percent I would say of the uh, of the market share of block space between these two, and look what happens. Mm -hmm. Twenty seventeen, you can see, and now look at it. Twenty twenty two. Okay, this happens is what's so fast. blowing me away. And Chris Berninsky says, almost didn't believe it when I saw it. Bitcoin currently at one percent of ETH in terms of the amount people pay to use the network. It's one percent of ETH in terms of blockchain sales, and look at how fast this happened. Absolutely mind blowing. The reason why this happens so fast is because of expressivity. When you have a Turing complete platform, you can generate infinite reasons to use the blockchain, and that is turns into fees. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it turns into demand for block space. If you have infinite use cases, it turns into infinite demand. 
<laughs> I, I just, I mean, it's something we said very early, but you can now see it very clearly is if mm-hmm. you're betting on ETH, you're betting in a, an economy. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. you're betting on Bitcoin, you're betting just on an asset, yep. which is very interesting uh, to see this dichotomy. Also, David, this was cool. You and I did a um, State of the Nation episode where we went through a dollar cost average for uh, Ether, the asset, and that was very well received. Can you just give the TLDR of of that episode? And then uh, I want to talk about this after you do. Yeah, so a, a discounted cash flow model is a tried and true model that is just used by all of finance th- like ever. Uh, that's what that's what finance uses to value the uh, the capital assets of the world based on a discounted cash flow model. How much money is this thing going to spit out into my hands over time? Uh, and we can come up with a model for valuating that. Ether is the only asset, you know, only L1 crypto asset that has the metrics that are needed in order to actually create inputs into a DCF model. Uh, and so with that, we uh, brought on Ryan Alice, who has done a very robust DCF model for Ether. Uh, and we can actually, using comparable metrics, comparable PE ratios uh, to other, uh, like depending on how fast you think Ethereum as a network is growing. Like, do you think it's fat growing faster than Amazon? Do you think it's growing faster than Facebook? Do you think it's growing faster than Netflix? Uh, making some assumptions as to how fast the Ethereum network grows, we can actually come up with some sort of justifiable model for the price of Ether. And let me tell you, it's bullish. <laughs> if you're surprised, it is a bullish output of a model. Uh, and the cool thing about that is that is just one aspect of Ether that makes it so cool is the, the cash flow analysis of Ether. There's also reservation demand by locking it up in DeFi, and that's not even included in that model. Uh, so definitely go uh, just watch that, that State of the Nation. Uh, it's on the video. It's on the video on the YouTube. It's also on your podcast feed. Uh, and if you just have any people from TradFi world that wear ties. Send them that th- model. Send them this model. Like, this is the language that they speak. This is how Ether is going to be understood by TradFi and how, is, how it's going to be justifiable to invest hundreds of millions of dollars into this asset coming from uh, people that wear ties. Send the model to your tie-wearing friends yeah. is what David's saying. Mm-hmm. And what's cool here is we say all this to also uh, tee up this. There are all other takes on a discounted... Um, uh, cash flow type model, a DCF. And so after that episode, one bankless listener uh, messaged me and said, hey, I've got some an even more DCF, uh, more precise DCF estimation here and uh, passed me his spreadsheet. And uh, it's an even more bullish prediction. Oh, okay? I love it. I so like, like this one now. And it's not just more bullish. Um, this listener says it's also more accurate because it looks a bit more at the monetary side of things and the demand side. And it's a bit more precise with respect to issuance in the future. Uh, I think that Ryan Alice's DCF was sort of a, a floor model based on some more mm-hmm. static assumptions. And this gets a bit more dynamic. With Ryan Alice... The, the model spit out an ETH price of 10 to 12K at about like 3.5 to $4 trillion in market cap. This one's spitting out an ETH price of 73K. All right. right. But you, the thing is, like, that's such a high, crazy high number that I feel like if you People sent that to your tie wearing friends, know, be, it would just break like, their brains. Like, is yeah. that even allowed? Then check the numbers. Tell right. them to check, check the numbers. Uh-huh. Like, put your own variables in the spreadsheet. Anyway, optionality here, guys, if you like these types of uh, analyses uh, will include this link to, to this DCF model 
in this in the uh, show notes. You know, the the listener also mentioned to me because we said we we asked Ryan, hey, do you model other layer ones this way? I know you're bullish on layer ones, Ryan Alice. Do you other model other layer ones this way? And he's like, I've never done that actually. Well, this listener did. He modeled Cardano Uh-oh. based on its uh, DCF, and Uh-oh. the fair price of Cardano was about one to two cents, <laughs> which is interesting because it's trading above a dollar right now. I'm I'm look, not it's, knocking it's what anything. the model say. I'm just it's just a model. Plug your own numbers in, and you can assess the fundamentals for yourself and choose what you invest in. All right. That's all we're saying. Love you, Cardano. Love you, Charles. Uh, Visa. <laughs> <laughs> Visa, $2 billion in transactions on their crypto-linked cards. That's a lot. That happened really fast. That's a lot. Yeah. Do you have one yet? Do you have no, a Visa I, card? I do not. No. No, I don't. Waiting for the Gemini one? Yeah, waiting for the Gemini one. Mm-hmm. I have a BlockFi one uh, that I use a little bit. Also, Coinbase has like a debit card that I have. It's like blue. Looks kind of cool. I don't know. I don't know how many of these I'm going to collect. Just, you know, <laughs> guys, collect try them all. Them all. <laughs> collect them all. Right, well, that's well, pretty good job, for Visa. Visa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, we did that episode of Anchorage where we talk about the bull case for for all of this. I think this number will go a lot higher. Um, David, some stablecoin numbers reminding us that stablecoins are big yet small. But what is this number we're looking at here? Yeah, we're looking at total value settled with stable coins per year. So every single year, the graph resets back to zero. And you can just see how much more money is being uh, settled by stable coins. So like at the end of uh, 2019, we settled like, I don't know, 0.2 trillion dollars. By the end of 2020, we settled a whole entire one trillion dollars. By the end of 2021, we settled six trillion dollars. So we went from 0.2 trillion to six trillion inside of three years. Uh, and then you can just look at how steep the curve is at the start for, of 2022 and compare it to how steep it is at the start of 2021. And it looks like we're just going to have another record-breaking year in terms of stable coin value settled. So well, cool. It's just another like 5X per year. Where are all these doing. fees coming on Ethereum? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 5X per year, right? So next mm-hmm. year, maybe 30 trillion. Yeah, uh, wow. You could be larger. Wow. Another another chart reminds us that um, while it's a lot settled, there's only $140 billion in stablecoin supply mm. outstanding. So uh, still lots of room to grow, still very small. If you compare that to like money markets, which some people compare as sort of like uh, quasi stablecoins, like some people say shadow bank stablecoins, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. money markets are like $5.5 trillion. And, um, you know, the euro dollar is in the in the you know large trillions i don't know it's like three to five trillion uh or more so just a ton of room to grow on stable coins and i have kind of a thesis i don't know if you agree with this david but i feel like when we've seen stable coins grow they often grow faster during kind of bear or crab markets where people are like uh i i want to hold some usdc and I want to harvest some yield on my USDC rather than having all of my cash deployed into like crypto native uh, assets. So like, you know, during bearish markets, people tend to collect more stable coins. They, you know, might sell their assets and wait for the bear markets and then, um, you know, have, have stable coins. But you, you got your, your David specu- uh, D- David is skeptical face on. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's not, that's not what I've seen. I've seen stable coin supply grow up, uh, grow really high during times of, of bullishness because that's when yields are super, super high. And also people are being degens and borrowing against their crypto assets more and more and more 
Uh, and so there's twofold demand there. There's more demand to borrow uh, and, and also because of higher yield. And I think that's what we see in the charts. During times of number go up, stablecoin supply also goes up. Um, Jim Bianco actually thinks that it's actually stablecoin supply that's really a leading indicator towards bull markets, as in like more for stable... For DeFi anyway. For DeFi, yeah. More stablecoin yeah. supply makes bull markets easier to happen because because the cost to borrow are low. And like, we see that out of the Federal Reserve, right? Like what are the, the problems that we're having today? is that the markets have been so bullish because the cost to borrow has been so low that people have been taking out infinity leverage and that's been pumping up the value of assets. So I've taken the other uh, side of that. I have one more thought about this chart, but I'll let you respond. No, I, I, I think that there's some give and take. So I don't feel strongly on that. I think um, it just tends this to is, go this up. This is Ryan telling, telling me I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right, David. <laughs> I know you, you wanted to hear that today. You're right, David. Uh, what's your other take on this chart, though? Look at, look at all the different colors. Look at them. It's so balanced. Like, look, look at how, rainbow. yeah, it's a very pretty, rainbow. pretty rainbow. Nothing's really too dominant, but also look at the, um, as soon as what, what around like, I don't know, May of 2021 happened, tether growth really tapered off in favor of USDC growth and, and other, uh, other stablecoin growth. So, uh, this is starting around May, 2021 was when USDC really started to take the lead in rate of growth. And now we saw, we just a couple of weeks ago, we saw USDC finally pass tether, pass a tether supply, uh, and so uh, regulated stable coins really taking the lead versus, uh, you know, more black box unregulated stable coins. I would like to see more DeFi native stable coins take the yeah. lead. And yeah. we ha still haven't seen that yet. Um, but uh, we'll see. We've got some regulatory information coming on stable coins as we get to the new section. But guys, so much more to cover. We're going to hit releases. We're going to talk about the big news items that you have to know in crypto. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Slingshot is a decentralized trading platform that combines the performance and ease of a centralized exchange with the openness and transparency of DeFi. Slingshot aggregates liquidity from all of DeFi in order to find the best price on thousands of crypto assets. Every token on Slingshot comes with a price chart and trade logs to give you insights into the market's activity in real time. Slingshot is available on Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism, saving you from the high gas fees and low transaction speeds of the Ethereum L1. There are no fees to trade on Slingshot, and any positive slippage is given to the users. Trading on Slingshot is a social experience. You can even set your chat avatar to your favorite NFT, or soon, a Slingshot 2099 NFT avatar. Once you bridge your assets to Polygon, Arbitrum, or Optimism, go to app.slingshot.finance to trade and use the chat box to share your trades with others and find other tokens to ape into. The Brave browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet with over 50 million monthly active users. Control your digital footprint with built-in privacy and ad blocking. Inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the first secure crypto wallet built natively inside of a Web3 crypto browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. The Brave wallet is different. Brave wallet is built natively inside the Brave browser, no extension required, which gives the Brave wallet an extra level of security versus other wallets. With the Brave wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap your crypto assets, and you can even manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started.
Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 250 projects have already deployed on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum's DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of decentralization and security. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, visit developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building your application on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps or NFT projects building on Arbitrum. Many of your favorite apps are already live, with many more coming over soon. You can find these apps at portal.arbitrum.one, and you can bridge your assets over to Arbitrum using bridge.arbitrum.io in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be. Fast, cheap, and friction-free. All right, guys, we are back with the releases of the week. David, uh, DeFi's favorite lending and borrowing protocol is getting ready to launch its V3. It's just been deployed to testnet. This is Aave V3. What's going on here? Uh, Aave V3 deployed to seven testnets. And so seven? Aave, yeah, that's what, yeah, look at, they're look at deploying the deploying everywhere. Yeah, deploying everywhere. And I think that's just lending themselves to how they're going to deploy. Uh, I think Aave is about to become a, a cross-chain, multi-chain ecosystem play. Uh, and so like, I mean, look at that graphic. There's Avalanche, Optimism, Arbitrum, Polygon, uh, Phantom, I think, is that one? Harmony. Uh, so Aave going everywhere, turning into a protocol of protocols. Uh, and so pr pretty cool. Um, there's going to have a, just probably a lot more um, cross-chain features, capital efficiency features. Uh, because the fees are lower, you just get more optionality with what you can do in the protocol. Uh, so just like rejiggering your and rebalancing your, your portfolio without incurring like bajillion dollar gas fees. Uh, so cool. I'm really excited for Aave V3. Yeah, same here. Great protocol. Uh, David, let's talk about some of the exploits. Okay, I think that's the main message of the week or the main news item is this massive exploit. Uh, but this is cool from Polymarket. There's a way to, to actually trade and hedge against this risk. Uh, here's a question on Polymarket. Will this DeFi protocol suffer an exploit by March, the end of March 31st, 2022? And you've got prediction markets for all of these protocols, Uniswap, MakerDAO, Compound. So people think there's a 5% chance that Uniswap could suffer an exploit by Seems March high. 31st. Seems really well, high. You could bet against that. Yeah. You know, I'd love to see a market like this for bridges, especially on the back of this week. Right, 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 right. Five, yeah, the, the problem is like, I would love to put money into this market and just collect that 5% fee, uh, you know, winnings because Uniswap's not gonna get exploited by March 31st, 2022. But also, the reason why I'm not going to do that is because Ether, I think, is going to go up more than 5% in that same time frame. <laughs> like, I mean, I yeah. always think that, but like, it's still like, what's the point of holding USDC to get 5% by March or the end of March when I'd rather just hold ETH? Well, it's, it's you know, it's free money if you're right, I it's suppose. Free money, yeah. But yeah, but I kind of feel like that, like ETH and other assets like it are kind of a black hole for all of my available cash too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this, David. This is a new protocol release, Kuiper. Mm -hmm. like Kuiper like the belt, the Kuiper belt. Um, this is kind of like set, maybe kind of like index co-op, mm -hmm. but also a bit different. Uh, what's your take on this? It's an index protocol of some sort, right? Yeah, it's a governance minimized, uh, like trustless, more trustless index protocol being established by some of the guys over at DeFi Pulse and uh, a few other just independent developers. Um, uh, they, they're just trying to go the very, very dense uh, protocol sync route by just being permissionless and uncensorable uh, from day one. Uh, so going to be keeping tabs on that. 
Yeah, me too. I think it's uh, interesting still looking at like how different it is versus index and set and some of those things, but it feels mm. like it's a bit closer to the metal, deeper in the protocol sink, as we might say in bankless uh, mm. terminology. Uh, let's switch to raises of the week. We got some unicorns we got to talk about. Here's one. This Dune is Analytics <laughs> is now a unicorn. Congrats. $1 billion valuation above $1 billion. And they raised uh, an amount. What did they raise here? $69,420,000. Nice. <laughs> nice. I just love how, like, Dune Analytics Silly. is a very serious, very in-depth analytics platform. And then they just go the meme route of raising $69,420,000. And I just think it's, it's great. We're just making a farce about, like, money. And I'm kind of here for it. Uh, yeah. You know, Crypto sometimes is just hilariously irreverent, yeah. and um, I just love that. It's, that's mm. part of the uh, the fun for me. Uh, Solana, mm-hmm. their wallet anyway. Phantom is raising 109 wow. million dollars. This is another unicorn. So 1.2 billion dollar valuation. Mm. Uh, pretty cool wallet, and I guess a MetaMask competitor ish, except for one thing. It's only on Solana right. at this point in time. Uh, what do you make of this? Yes, MetaMask, uh, same niche as MetaMask, but not a competitor because they're just they are in completely different ecosystems. I've heard fantastic things about uh, Phantom Wallet and people wishing that Phantom Wallet were in the Ethereum ecosystem. At the rate that MetaMask is printing money via their native swap feature, I would imagine that Phantom has incentives to try and penetrate the Ethereum market, uh, but they they just might be Solana maxis. So yeah, well, I'm not sure. I mean, they've talked about deploying to Ethereum. Um, yeah, I've heard rumor that maybe second half of next year. Oh, but it's kind of, they're kind of busy on Phantom at the same time, so that right. could keep getting pushed back. Uh, meanwhile, MetaMask is making some moves. Meanwhile. What do they do this week? They acquired my crypto. So my crypto is this uh, very old, reputable uh, team that is working on wallet infrastructure, uh, led, led by Taylor Monahan, who's a veteran of the ICO era. Imagine Ryan being uh, the the founder CEO of uh, an Ethereum wallet during the ICO era, where like well, people she, ha- she was a veteran of keeping people safe during yes. the ICO era. We should yes. say she was one of the good good guys, right? Yes, yes, and but, but also just like imagine like imagine being responsible for like 80% of the inbound support requests for ICOs <laughs> because no one knows where else to get customer support. So they go to yeah. the wallets and that was Taylor Monahan. <laughs> so, yeah. Her so, team was like basically Ethereum support. Yeah, it really exactly. was like that. And, and in the same way that people complain about MetaMask and, and how like, Oh, like uh, where did my money go? Help me, help me MetaMask team. And like the MetaMask team was like, yo, we just are the wallet infrastructure. Like yeah. we don't know where you, you sent your <laughs> yes. money, dude. Um, anyways, uh, my crypto is, is teaming up with MetaMask, uh, me, uh, getting acquired by MetaMask to help them build out the MetaMask ecosystem. Uh, and we are having both t- uh, Dan Finley and Taylor Monahan on the live stream on Tuesday to talk about this acquisition uh, and where MetaMask is going from here. It just makes a ton of sense. So congratulations to both teams. Uh, looking forward to chatting. I do want to hear where MetaMask is going next. Uh, that'll be an interesting conversation. So make sure to tune in. David, this was weird this week. Do you know FTX is now more valuable than Coinbase? How? How is that so possible? They're not even if, publicly listed. Where did they get all the valuation from? It's, it's you know private valuation, so it's on the private market. And so if you add up the private valuation most recently of coin of FTX, and then also you add uh, FTX US, which is a separate subsidiary. Which mm. I don't know. Didn't we talk about that last yeah. week? It's like worth mm-hmm. eight billion dollars on its own, and you take the cumulative amount. It's worth more than the public price of Coinbase uh, on the market, which like surprised me. Right. 
Does right. that surprise you? Yeah, it definitely does because like, you know, FTX is a gargantuan in this space and they're doing a lot more and they move a lot faster than Coinbase, but they also just don't have the same branding. Like when people, when you ask people like, yo, like where should I go get my, my crypto? Should I just get a Coinbase account? Like that's always what they ask first. Like, oh, like do I just sign up with Coinbase? And like, obviously yeah. like, yeah, sure. Great. It's a great spot. Um, yeah. But somebody said, so a, a couple things when I tweeted this out, somebody said one, one is that, um, well, there's a difference between private and public markets. And when you go public, you're going to be marked down. Okay. So maybe there's a discount when you go public, which would be interesting. I don't know. Um, and then the second thing was, okay, the difference with FTX is derivatives, huge focus on derivatives, which right. is a massive market and also international focus where they're stronger. So you might tell your retail friend, like, Hey, start with Coinbase. But if it's a, you know, fund of some sort, and they're getting into like more exotic derivative type products, pushing a lot of capital, FTX might be the go-to spot. I don't, I don't know what this all implies for, for Coinbase, but it's, uh, you know, the battle of crypto, crypto banks is a real thing and it's gonna keep on going. Um, if, you, if you told me back in like 2018, 2019, that there would be a, an exchange that would be rivaling Coinbase and that hadn't existed yet because FTX wasn't around back then, I would be like, you're, you're absolutely crazy. There's no way, like the exchange marketplace is like way too competitive. There's no way a new exchange can come back to, to dethrone Coinbase. Turns out that's what happened. Well, if it happened once, can it happen again? Yeah. Making any exchange bets, yeah. David, these no. days? No, I'm not. No, DeFi <laughs> exchanges. Yeah, there you go. Uh, also, big congrats to our friends at Castle Island. They just mm -hmm. raised uh, hundreds of millions for a new fund. This is Nick Carter, who's been on the podcast, I don't know, five, six times, Yeah, something mm -hmm. like this. Uh, what does Castle Island invest in? You yeah, they, keep up with their pod. Yeah, yeah, I do. They they invest in. They're pretty heavy in Bitcoin infrastructure investment, but they also do DeFi investments and and are really big in the stablecoin world. Uh, and so they they kind of span themselves out pretty well, I'd say, um, with emphasis in the B Bitcoin ecosystem. Uh, and they are definitely just. Um, uh, true crypto believers through and through. Uh, they understand how this industry works. Uh, I get so much of my knowledge from Nick Carter. Uh, I wish that likeness of him was actually <laughs> better. You don't think this looks like Nick? I, I think Nick looks way better than that in real life. <laughs> <laughs> it's not terrible though, but yeah. It's not, it's not terrible, yeah. But yeah. yeah, I could tell it's Nick, I guess. It's <laughs> yeah. just like Wax Museum Nick. <laughs> yeah, Wax, that's exactly right. Anyways, uh, congrats to, to Castle Island. Looking, to, uh, looking forward to hearing where you guys put that money uh, on your pod. Fun fact, uh, the, their weekly roundup was the inspiration for the Bankless weekly roll-up. Uh, and that's how that happened. So it means we stole that from you, Nick. Yeah, we, we totally stole that. <laughs> <laughs> Jobs. Jobs. Get a job in crypto. Look at all these companies raising. They're all hiring. We put this strategically in our roll-up agenda where it's like, look at all the money mm -hmm. these protocols and companies have. And then we're like, jobs. Jobs. This Go equals get it. jobs. Go get it. New jobs on the job board this week. A senior product engineer at Moment Ranks. Go check that out. Also, a slew of DYDX positions. Some technical, some not. You want to be a community manager at DYDX? Do it. Governance growth lead as well. Business operations and finance associate marketing associate see all of these don't require technical skills fantastic all of these jobs are open for you now accountant smart DeFi, a web3 engineer solidity and react at goldfinch a senior go rust engineer at syndica a smart contract tech lead at star x 
That's just the start. I could keep David dancing for this entire episode if I read all of these off, mm -hmm. but I'll leave you to do that at the Bankless job boards. It's bankless.palette.xyz. Sign up. If you want to learn more about Goldfinch, which is uh, a company that Ryan just listed off as hiring, uh, we did a Meet the Nation with them. That YouTube video is on the uh, that video is on the YouTube. If you want to learn all about Goldfinch, they're doing under collateralized lending via DeFi, via uh, a DAO type organization, uh, and they have funded some really really cool things all across the world. There you go. Very cool. Cool companies. David, news time. News. Uh, here it is. We got to start here. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. The bridge hack. Bridge hack. Yeah. $300 million. Is it $300 million? I heard I 250 to $300 Somewhere million. between 250 and 300 you know, depending on the price. A lot. Okay. Um, I said $200 million this, but um, it was more. Mm -hmm. And um, this, I, maybe we'll start with kind of First a, off, a, that's big. That's very, very big. That's a mm -hmm. big number. That is the second biggest DeFi exploit of all time. Yes, it is. Yes, uh, millions. When you get in the hundreds of millions, that's that's very big territory. It's, very big. it's a nice bank heist. Yes, <laughs> bank heists keep getting bigger. Uh, it's well, I'll start here with it's it's kind of a, a prediction that I feel like Bankless has has made, and uh, not happy about this prediction, but like it felt like an inevitability in 2022. This is a tweet that uh, I put out earlier in January. Sad prediction: there will be some monster bridge hacks in 2022 that will make people question their multi-layer one chain thesis. I feel like that's a little bit what happened, right? Multi-chain, multi-bridge. really fast. It did, okay? And uh, then I probably doubled down on that prediction, which is, again, sad, okay? Sadly, this exploit is just the start, and I feel like that's the case too. Although, hopefully, everyone with bridges is double-checking their code right now to make th sure this thing doesn't happen. But we'll start there. Tell us actually what happened. This thing is called Wormhole on Solana, I believe. Give us the scoop here, David. Yeah, so uh, this everyone's attention got raised when Sam Z Sun, who's a famous white hat hacker who can like almost uh, like fix any exploit before everyone knows about it, uh, tweeted out that Wormhole is not having a good time. Uh, and it turns out by the time Sam paid attention to it, uh, it had already it had already happened. Uh, so the Wormhole Network, which is a, a Ethereum to Solana bridge that lets you uh, wrap up your Ether on Ethereum, put that Ether into a smart contract on Ethereum, and then that smart contract pings another smart contract on Solana to tell the Solana chain that some Ether just got deposited into it and they can mint new Ether, fake Ether, wrapped Ether, Solana Ether on the Solana chain. Uh, and the reason why that will have value is because you can go back and forth and that's how bridges work. Uh, what happened allegedly, uh, from what we are uh, understanding from all the people that know how to code and uncover these things, is that the smart contract on the Solana side had an exploit that allowed the exploiter to mint uh, a bunch of Solana Ether, a, a bunch of IOUs for Ether on the Ethereum chain. That was, and, and so they just minted new ones, uh, kind of in the, in the same way that Federal Reserve prints new money. If you can get a hold of the money printer, you can print a bunch of new monies, but that doesn't mean that there's actually more Ether backing it on the Ethereum chain. So the exploiter minted a bunch of Solana Ether and then sent that Solana Ether back through the bridge so that they could take the Ether on the Ethereum side out of the, out of the wormhole smart contract. And that came out to a tune of 120,000 wrapped Ether. Uh, and then that 120,000 wrapped ether is now in the exploiter's wallet. And I don't know if they're actually watching it through Tornado Cash yet, um, uh, but I would imagine that's just kind of the only way that they can get that value cleaned. 
Uh, this happened as we're recording it. This happened, I don't know, 12 hours before mm-hmm. we're recording this, maybe mm-hmm. maybe a bit more. So the story, the story and what's happening is kind of still developing as we're doing it. But yeah, exactly what you said, right? So you've got these fake IOUs on Solana, and then the hacker just caches these IOUs for real ETH on the Ethereum side of things. But this causes some downstream effects, right. doesn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. What are the downstream effects, a cascade of effects when something like this happens? Right, so Ether is fantastic collateral. Uh, and so it's used as collateral and liquidity inside of Solana DeFi. Uh, and so all of a sudden the Ether collateral in these DeFi applications, uh, like providing liquidity to other tokens, uh, becomes unbacked. Uh, and so it kind of goes from like an IOU to Ether to an IOU of nothing. Uh, and so all of a sudden, like the value in these things just evaporates, right? Because it's, it's like if somebody, if somebody like stole all the gold out of a bank that had issued IOUs against that gold. Well, if there's no gold there, like you can't issue any IOUs for it or the IOUs that you do have are worthless. Uh, and so it has cascading um, impacts on DeFi. Liquidations happen because if... Um, value of the collateral goes to zero, then like people need to get liquidated. But also, how can you liquidate anything if there, there's no actual value there? Like you, the IOUs aren't worth anything. And so it really just, it just messes up everything. It's a, it's a systemic risk to have uh, all of this unbacked collateral in, in, in Solana DeFi. Uh, and so like uh, this is exactly this is, uh, what Giorgios Constantinopoulos from Paradigm says, domino effect of now under uncollateralized loans against wormhole ETH is severely undermentioned. That was yesterday. Uh, this has been fixed actually, uh, as of like literally one or two hours before recording. Uh, somebody, uh, we think Jump Capital, has foot, footed the bill, footed, 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 footed the bill. Uh, I have a hundred foot the. They, they coughed up in all the ether. And so now the wormhole bridge is actually whole again because uh, we think Jump Capital coughed up. Is it Jump a, Capital? I think so. That's what everyone's- that's re- still developing, right? That's, that's unconfirmed, but that's, that's kind of the only people that we can really consider to have this much money. $250 million? Just like, okay, here, like we'll, we'll make wormhole whole again. Uh, absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, so the, so it basically, we had all of these uh, IOUs that were minted. This causes a cascade of problems everywhere. This wrapped ether on Solana and the Solana DeFi ecosystem is used, right? Because now all of these assets that you thought were backed by ETH are no longer backed, right? And so it's a, a lot of problem. All of the while, Wormhole is saying, "Hey, look, guys, we got this." Mm-hmm. You know, like they were tweeting out, "We're we're finding a way to restore funds." In the background, they were negotiating with the hacker. I believe, mm-hmm. and they sent messages to the hackers saying, "Hey, if you just return the funds, we'll give you ten million dollars. You'll be a white hat, mm-hmm. right? You'll be helping us out for the ten million dollar bug bounty." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and who knows? There's probably lots of other conversations that we're not not privy to, right? And so, um, but now what's just developed, it seems like, and what you're saying, David, is uh, wormhole is back up. They somehow procured the funds. Amazing. And you think it was, this was from uh, Jump Capital? That's what, that that's funded what, this? Yeah, so Jeff Garzik asked that question, where uh, where do the f- uh, funds to refill the bridge come from? Uh, and so if you click on that tweet and then scroll down, you'll see a lot of speculation that it's, it was Jump Capital. Um, Kyle Shalani says, J- Jump is covering because they believe in the future of crypto and what they're bu- uh, building. So Jump Capital, I think, maybe had some like, um, maybe were they investors in Wormhole or, or something like that. Um, Jump Capital is a, it's a trading desk, I think, and they just print money from doing trading stuff. Uh, so they're very well capitalized, obviously. 
But I mean, they I, could pay for this if they wanted to. At the end of the day, two hundred fifty million dollars is nothing. I'm sorry. Even uh, George Soros will will notice two hundred fifty million dollars missing <laughs> from his treasury. I think. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, you know, I guess I guess so. That you know, what do we learn from this episode here? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I there's maybe some lessons that are starting to emerge. Uh, I feel like the the first thing we're learning is that bridges are dangerous. Bridges are dangerous. Um, and they're dangerous. They're dangerous in two ways. They're dangerous in one: the smart contract code for a bridge can actually be hacked, and that's what happened here. There's a smart contract code hack which that happened which, on the Solana side, which Ryan is is differentiating from the bridge. It's like so. Yeah, you have the you have the bridge that spans two endpoints, two structures, and the bridge can break and be broken in the middle, or the two structures on the end can also break, and those are the smart contracts on either side of the bridge. So the bridge was fine because even the, even the exploiter was able to transfer assets across the bridge. It was the entryways of the bridge that got exploited here. And these are each individually uh, weak points. And we've seen hacks like this, not for a bridge, but like this in DeFi uh, many different times, right? You know, the, the famous parody multi-sig hack mm -hmm. is, you know, smart contract code that was basically right. hacked. So that's the first category. The other category that we haven't yet seen, but Vitalik has been talking about um, for, for a while, and particularly for the last month, is economic attacks. Mm -hmm. So this is like you're sort of dependent on the multi-sig signers or you're dependent on the security of... Um, you know, the, the Solana chain or any side chain to actually secure this bridge. And that's another iceberg, I think, under the water a little bit that people aren't seeing. Um, you know, from my perspective, it's good that people are paying more attention to bridge security. So there is a, uh, I guess, a, a sunny side mm -hmm. at the, like, at the other side of this. Um, I think it's important to note that both layer ones like this bridge layer ones like this and layer two bridges can have the smart contract vulnerability mm -hmm. though they probably don't layer twos don't have the same economic attack uh surface right. area right. that these layer one bridges have so I'm, I'm happy to see that bridge security is coming into focus it seems like it's good that there's a happy ending where maybe a big uh, capital provider like jump is um reimbursing all funds um I do think that, look, this bridge was talked about as if it was you know, safe mm -hmm. and secure. And I think a lot of people thought it was safe and secure. And I think there is some troubling, I guess, market pressure for everyone to say their bridge is secure when it's really not. And that is troubling. And I hope we, we, we see the lessons of, of, of security from this and we take those lessons and we apply them and we um, look at these bridges with a lot more scrutiny moving forward. What do you think the takeaways are, David? My, my, the biggest thing I'm surprised about is I had no idea how much Ether was on Solana via this wormhole. Like a quarter billion dollars is a lot. Over 100,000 100, units of Ether is a lot. Reminder, there's 118 million uh, ether in existence a lot of that's locked uh, a lot of that is lost so maybe maybe like you know 10 to 15 million of that is is actually lost somehow somewhere um but like a hundred over a hundred thousand ether is a lot like that is not trivial um and so that, that's what i'm surprised about I'm, I'm i'm surprised that a bridge in such a nascent part of bridging's like story with crypto had that much ether wrapped up in his contracts um <laughs> And it, go, it also, like, whenever um, Solana goes down, like, uh, we have Kyle Samani and Anatoly come out and say, like, a mainnet beta. Solana is in mainnet beta. Like, you know, we, we got DDoS. It's going down. 
I'm sorry, what kind of mainnet beta has a quarter billion dollars of value in it? Like, we need to pick, we need to pick a lane, guys. Uh, is, this, is this a beta or is this a live ecosystem? Because if people are getting liquidated, it's not really a beta. Um, they, they are very, very, the whole Solana ecosystem is very, very fortunate that Jump has the means and the reason and the ability to actually cover the losses here. Um, Part of me wonder if we, we get the wrong lesson out of this as well. Like, I'm glad that um, users are going to be made whole for this. I think that's a great thing. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy individually. But I feel like it's a dangerous precedent for bridge users to expect that any hack or economic attack is going to get bailed out in the future. Because just because this ended with a happy ending doesn't mean the next one will. You know, there's not necessarily a jump capital who's going to like step in and reimburse everyone. Um, and so, especially when these bridges and layer twos and uh, everything decentralize, like there's yes. not, there's supposed to be no one there. Exactly. So there's, there's some brittleness in the structure that we're building in particular in the bridging structure. I think we talked a lot about this with Rune Christensen on the episode that we did with him. Uh, so go check that out. That's somewhere in the archives as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, bridges are going to be a main topic of discussion. This won't be the last hack that we see of 2022, sadly. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna continue talking about it. Um, so, um, what is this exploiter gonna do with all the money? <laughs> what what does one do with 250 do with million dollars? What would you that, do? Well, okay, so they can't touch USDC. They can't touch USDT. It'll get frozen because it'll get frozen. So like Blacklist, they, they can touch die if they want. You're going straight to ETH. Yeah, they're, and then they're you're going to Tornado staying, Cash. You're going to yeah, right. But like you can't you can't just wash a hundred thousand units of ether through Tornado Cash. Like yeah. you can maybe do like a couple hundred ETH a week, but like if you you have to pull it out into different wallets, you can't because. But then also like sure you if, can you can start to liquidate like uh, the, the the trickle of ETH that you push through Tornado Cash so yeah you you hacks you exploit something for a quarter billion dollars and then maybe over the course of one year you can discreetly withdraw one million dollars across like just, you know spreading it out and obfuscating and you just wait a long time yeah exactly just wait a long time but like what the hell do you do with the remaining two hundred and forty nine million dollars you just keep it neat you take out some loans use it in DeFi I don't know that's an option to, to do what you can't do it where is it it's stuck there it, yeah i i guess it is although like i think a lot more will be built like you could just um expect that there'll be more privacy right. preserving solutions in the future more off ramps this you sort of thing sit or on you your just, hands and so you can get you your money stake. later like, if, if they're if they're <laughs> inside of the united states like they where are they gonna how are they gonna tell the irs that where they got their quarter billion dollars from <laughs> oh, I don't. It, I, it's very. It's going to be very difficult for them to exit. That's why if I'm the hacker, mm -hmm. I'm like I'd be pretty tempted to be like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, no, this just a prank, guys. Look, I'm a white hat. <laughs> it's just a prank. I'm, it's, I'm a white hat because they because they know, offered the exploiter ten million dollars. Yeah, I'll take right? the ten million free and clear. Right. And but I'll, although I do wonder, is that really free and clear? Yeah. Though you hack something, can you just be like, ah? Yeah, can, can you yeah. like remove yourself from all like courts and liabilities? Yeah, just by just taking the ten million dollar bribe to give it all back. Yeah, or maybe maybe you're supposed to play coy and pretend that you were just a white hat all along. Maybe that's the way to do it, and maybe that makes it free and clear. I don't know. 
Look, I'm I'd not a hacker. See okay, David, <laughs> do you want to interview a hacker? On yeah, if, yo, if a hacker wants to come on Bankless, let me know. <laughs> I will throw you a Zoom link. We're just curious. We're just curious. Any, uh, any you, hackers out what, there? What are you going to do with the money? That's all I want to know. That's just want to know what you're going to do with the money. Yeah, uh, DM me. Yeah, but also, um, I don't want to draw attention to us uh, with with hackers, David. Right. You know. Sure. So. Yeah. Right. DM Anthony Sasano. It'll be our go-between. <laughs> David, let's talk about this. There's right. trouble in Wonderland still. There was right. trouble last week. There's more trouble. Update us on the story that was developing. So this was, as listeners will remember, this was um, I, I a felon in mm-hmm. charge of the treasury. Uh, of, of Wonderland, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Wonderland. So what's happening now, David? Uh, yeah, so the community has been uh, in turmoil, I guess, trying to figure out how to continue. Uh, what to do with the Wonderland project. Now that one of the core developers, core founders, one of the multi-sig signers was discovered to be the uh, ex-Quadringa guy who's a convicted felon for identity fraud and stuff like that, and then also discovered that Danny Sesta uh, just knew about that and didn't tell anyone, uh, the community has been reeling about like, well, okay, what, how do we... What, what are the next steps? Because- and that's where we left the story last week. There was like a governance vote of... Right. You know, should we boot this treasury? Should we continue the project? It was it was that that's mm-hmm. the, the to be continued from last week. Right, and what's also not helpful is all of the the very very uh, um, depreciating asset prices, uh, time and, and spell and, and mim. There's just a, and all the curve. A bunch of money has moved around because of as a result of this turmoil. So the state of things is unclear. Um, asset prices are down, uh, it's, and so the community is, you know, very stressed. Uh, and so Danny, uh, the the leader of the the whole Wonderland project, says, uh, tweeted out in a tweet thread that got over two thousand likes, so a lot. Uh, Wonderland experiment is coming to an end. It's clear from the vote uh, from the vote that the community is divided. The core and heart of Wonderland is still the community. If we cannot find agreement on whether or not to continue, it means that we failed. The duty of the team is to enact the will of the token holders. As the vote is so close to 50-50, there is only one uh, path forward. Uh, the vote was to uh, keep uh, 0x Sifu as uh, a treasury member or to oust him. Um, uh, and so Danny says... Why does anyone want to keep him? I have no I, clue. I, I, okay. may, I hope that's the right vote. Uh, uh, as the vote is so close to 50-50, there is only one path forward. It is to reimburse, unwind those who do not feel a part of Wonderland and, and can fi- so they can find a new home who feels attached and in line with a Frog Nation vision. Uh, and so that is what the community of Wonderland is currently reeling with. Um, kind of, uh, uh, oh, oh, also at the same time, uh, Zero X Sifu, the, the ex-Quadringa guy, is pushing all of his ether through Tornado Cash. Uh, and so has put... A, Actively a, exit scamming on chain. At, yeah, just like watching, like disappearing through a puff of tornado cash, uh, and so like that. So he his address is becoming uh, washed. Uh, so there's that. Uh, and then Danny inside of the um, uh, inside of the Discord, he said he said this was on January 31st. He goes, this DAO is going going to be managed directly by me. The circus needs to stop now, and we need to gather more serious proposals and structure to move forward. So, I mean, Danny just really pushing himself as, I mean, at some point, like in times of turmoil, like some leaders need to step up and like, who else is it going to be other than Danny? He has the most at stake here. Um, but like Dow is saying, like Danny's kind of saying this Dow is going to be managed by me. It's like, well, let's take the D out of that Dow at the moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. So some, some mess, some mess going on. Yeah, how do you think uh, this resolves? I mean, some people are saying like, oh, governance is so messy, it's a mistake uh, to even do this. Um, 
you know, I don't know. Where, how, how does this end in your mind? I have no clue, but I'm definitely reminded of that uh, Thomas Jefferson quote or George Washington quote with that said, like, the biggest argument of, against democracy is a conversation with the average voter. <laughs> <laughs> is this the biggest argument against a DAO? It's yeah. actually DAO votes. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, I get right, it. Well, well look, that. the project will, you know, hopefully come to a good resolution. Uh, we'll see. Uh, just a quick update. Danny... Uh, did not get back to us after saying he would come on the Bankless podcast. Uh, we have DMs shocked. open. Did not get back to us. Here's shocked. a tweet. Someone saying, being a part of Wonderland is like living with a schizophrenic person. Um, no comment following that from me. Let's move on to other things. All right. <laughs> cool things. Yay things. Happy things. <laughs> Immutable and GameStop. The team up. GME investors have been waiting for on layer two. What is happening with Immutable and GameStop, David? Yeah, so there was a ton of speculation that GameStop was going to be using Loopering to uh, issue NFTs and bolster and they their still gaming. Might be ish, really? But I don't know. I'm I think curious. I think that this is a pretty pretty strong commit commitment to the Immutable ecosystem. So GameStop has be. publicly announced that they're going to be issuing NFTs using the GameStop, like all the all the games that GameStop own and all their platforms and all their IP are going to be issued as NFTs on the Immutable X Layer 2, the ZK Rollup Layer 2, along with, in partnership with the Immutable team, establishing a $100 million fund to help grow the gaming ecosystem on Immutable X. Uh, so huge partnership. This is making a ton of big news. We are, uh, you guys, by the time you hear this, we'll have already done this, but we are, Ryan and I are about to go on a live stream with Robbie, the co-founder of Immutable, uh, to talk about all of this. Oh my God, people are like, it's hours away and people are already waiting for this. That is crazy. It's just because it's the Wall Street Bets community. It, it is. It very is. excited yeah, about this. Wow. Like a different community. Yeah, so uh, if you guys want to learn more about everything that GameStop is doing with Immutable, go to YouTube, uh, check out that, that video, uh, and then we'll probably put it on the RSS feed this weekend or something. Meme stocks, meme crypto, mm -hmm. producing NFTs. I don't know. It sounds kind of fun. Uh, I'm in. Going to ask Robbie about that. Uh, David, what's happening more here? More L222 is... stuff. Okay, yeah. we, uh, we talked about this last week where Binance ran out of ETH to deposit onto Arbitrum Layer 2. Binance, by the way, you can you can take your Ether and deposit it from the Binance Exchange. You can get it deposited on Arbitrum. Like two weeks ago, uh, after rolling out that feature, they ran out of ETH because everyone deposited their Ether on Arbitrum from Binance. And so they had They're to- migrating. They had to, Binance had to put more Ether from the L1 into their Optimism, uh, or excuse me, their Arbitrum Layer 2 so that more people could use that that Arbitrum Layer 2 ETH to withdraw onto Arbitrum. They ran out of ETH uh, and then they resupplied it and then it happened again. It happened again. Uh, in less than 20 <laughs> hours for Binance's new ETH supply to get drained. Uh, and so- there's clear demand. I said it last time. There's clear demand to deposit money on layer twos coming from centralized exchanges. Coinbase, once again, please take note and open up withdrawals onto things like Arbitrum and Optimism and all the other layer twos. So we can drain you, Coinbase. So we can drain you. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, man, bankless. That's what this whole thing is. Let's uh, ultimately, we got to get a lot of these assets off of exchanges. That's um, that's the reason we're here. This is cool too. On layer two, twenty two. Rainbow is now deployed on Polygon, displays Polygon NFTs. Rainbow Wallet's pretty awesome, David. Do you use this? Uh, I haven't downloaded it. I don't use it too much, although I think we might be doing a show with them in the future. Yeah, we should. And I guess they are deploying on, you know, on all layer twos. It's mm -hmm. uh, definitely one of the best NFT wallets out there. Um, 
The NFT uh, layer two ecosystem is definitely not very strong as not as strong as I wish it to be. And it's the reason why is like stuff like this hasn't been like deployed yet. So, you know, wallets, user friendly wallets that allow you to check out and do NFT stuff on layer twos is definitely one of those stories. So uh, nice job, Rainbow Wallet. Yeah, was it like um, the the Ethereum mainnet sells ninety percent of mm-hmm. all NFT traffic, right? Mm-hmm. It has like sixty percent of DeFi, but it has a total locked value, but it's ninety percent of all NFTs, which yeah. is pretty insane. But look, NFTs are doing well. At it's least NFT this month season. In January it's NFT season. Well, how? I thought bear markets. I thought all the liquid JPEGs would just evaporate in a in a puff. I, I know you're not the the biggest NFT guy, Ryan, but like when I uh, cope with down prices, I go and look at like pretty JPEGs on OpenSea. You and do? I, I think, you think people, that's what's happening. I think that's what other people are, are like. People oh yeah, are like, sad, like so let's not JPEGs? go go away, Coin Gecko. Open up OpenSea. Like I don't want to look. I don't want to look at crypto prices. I want to look at my JPEGs. Um, I mean that that might be a little bit reductive, but that's definitely my behavior. And uh, at, you know, at the same time, January has absolutely broken, like smashed through records in NFT Ow. volume, just wild. And there's a bunch of brand new NFT projects that have really just caught people's attentions. Uh, and that's what we put in the market Monday for this week. We just kind of ran through all of the Board NFT Apes. projects that have really caught, captured a lot of attention. Board Apes have a has a floor of like 115 ETH, absolutely insane. Justin Bieber bought a floor ape for something like 5x the value of it for some reason. Uh, Justin Bieber also bought doodles. Uh, these brand new doodles things have a 15, like 10 to 15 ETH floor. And where just a couple weeks ago, they were two to three ETH. Um, Azukis are these like anime style profile pictures that are really hot with those that are really into anime and, and other Asian culture type stuff. Um, uh, cool cats and their cool pets. I'm, I'm a big fan of the cool cats. Uh, they have their their cool pets launch that happened earlier this week, kind of like a board ape kennel club type derivative project. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other NFT projects that have captured my attention that aren't necessarily pumping, but I decided to include those. Uh, Crypto Covens, uh, a new celebrity just bought one of those, uh, and that we'll talk about in a second. And then also MFers, which I think are just like these perfect, things are janky, perfectly offensively it's my simple. Brand. It's like yeah. it's like Ryan's it's Ryan's turtle brand but a little bit better than the turtles, but not too much better than the turtles not in terms of the drawing. Better. And just like, it's just like so offensively simple. It's just yeah. like, yes, like this thing does cost a thousand dollars. It's so basic. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely my brand. David, you even convinced me to get one of these. So mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm, I'm a, I'm a or too. Um, it's, it's like, look, is the game now we're trying to just front run Justin Bieber. We're I trying to front so. run the next mm-hmm. celebrity mm-hmm. because what's interesting is they're buying NFTs but it seems like they're not uh, they're they're not buying tokens, right? Right. I, I guess that's because when you buy an NFT, what are you actually buying? Are you buying some clout? Are you yeah, buying some you're signal? Buying clout. You're, buying, you're clout. buying things you can't get from. You're buying clout and community investment. love. That's what you're buying. You're buying a community. Or didn't you say it's like um, this is like a social media experiment? When you buy an NFT that has a robust community around it, and you mm-hmm. said, hey. I'm now part of this MFT. I'm now a cool cat. I'm now a bored mm-hmm. ape. I'm mm-hmm. now a punk. I'm now a, a MFer. Mm-hmm. Then like instant community love. Right. You like instant followers. Yeah. It's instant like, clout. It's like a so like people that don't know the Twitter world. Like you can go and buy followers on Twitter, and like it's super obvious that you do. Uh, but like in the NFT world, you can kind of in a roundabout way buy followers by buying an <laughs> NFT and then that community just follows you. Yeah. It's actually really interesting. It's, it's composable communities. It's like, oh, he's communities. one of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what's going mm-hmm. on. All right. So here's another uh, celebrity uh, cat. 
official cat this yeah. is cat dennings cat dennings from uh, two broke girls and also thor uh she brought a crypto coven which is uh, uh this uh, uh female-led nft project that has all these very cool drawings of different witches um i think that you're just scrolling through her her, her twitter feed yeah i'm trying to see Ryan. what i recognize her from and i don't like but she's in thor right. i guess oh uh, yeah she's in thor yeah, and okay. a few others yeah mm-hmm. yeah definitely seen her around mm-hmm. uh not in real life <laughs> <I don't hate> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> all right board apes Okay, mm-hmm. maybe this is why board apes are worth what? $5 billion? And oh, it's not Jesus. board apes. Sorry, not board apes. The Yuga Labs, the creators of board apes, the startup behind board apes, is receiving this $5 billion uh, valuation potentially wow. from A16Z. $5 billion? $5 billion. What? That's insane. For, like, what, so what how do, is that what tr- happening? I guess you're betting. I guess what you're betting is like. Um, that board apes are sort of like Marvel Comics level IP mm-hmm. that they're going to be used in the future across like movies. They're going to be part of pop culture. That seems to be like a unicorn level, 5X unicorn uh, level bet. And what you're doing is like you're buying the uh, the Marvel, you know, the, the company that mm-hmm. created uh, like the Marvel characters, essentially. I guess that's what you're doing. But I don't, I don't, I can't, I'm, I have a hard time wrapping my head around $5 billion for this. It's like a lot of assumptions. Well, I mean, it's A16C, so they kind of just like pile into anything that they do and really inflate valuations. That, uh, I, I, I want that unpacked by somebody more smart than me because well, that's, that is perplexing. Car- Carly Riley, Carly Riley, Overpressed <laughs> JPEGs. I'm sure she's on it. Uh, yeah. Fantastic NFT podcast, by the way, if you want to hear more about this stuff. David and I just, you know, we tinker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least I do. David, David's all right. Ryan just buys what I tell him to buy. <laughs> <laughs> buy an MFR. Like, what? Okay, this looks stupid. This I, looks I, like I saw like down. very rudimentary drawings plus low floor price, and I was like, oh, Ryan's <laughs> totally going to get one of these. <laughs> yeah. All right, Coachella. They are partnering with FTX. They're going to launch NFTs, maybe tickets. Is that what they're doing? Uh, doing? No, I think I think NFT they're doing okay. yeah, they're doing the whole like NFT collection type thing. So Coachella, I mean. I feel like it's the right kind of ecosystem to do an NFT style project, like all these very, very like, you know, hip young kids that stay up with the times. Like they, maybe they want some NFTs for going to Coachella. Like yeah. the, anyone who it's goes cool. to Coachella likes to flex. Like that's kind of why you go there. It's interesting. It's like, it's uh, the, the headline is Coachella partners with FTX to launch NFTs. And where are they launching them on Solana? It's mm. kind of like whenever you see FTX, you see Solana. It's mm. like, Solana is to FTX what Binance Chain is to Binance. I very much feel like that's the case. And you know, when we talked to uh, Brian Armstrong, mm-hmm. he's like, they haven't launched a Coinbase chain, have they? They haven't picked like a winner. And he seemed like, uh, I'm just It's kidding. Ethereum. Oh, okay. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. FT- FTX is his. to Solana, it's Coinbase is to Ethereum. Well, ETH would, it, like, he can't get the value on top. Like, he can't oh, yeah, sure. uh, extract right. the value from right. that in the way that, you right. know, FTX can from Solana. But remember, so, Brian was like, oh, I like open, permissionless, uh, decentralized And protocols. I respect that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if that's not the profit maximization take. Oh, it's well, it's definitely not. not. It's already not. not. And that's why FTX is maybe greater valuation than Coinbase right now. Yeah. And at this present moment. You got to do the right thing, though, Brian. All right. Uh, okay. So that was a lot of exuberance. And Chris Berniski, who's one of my favorite people ever, but also has been a bear lately, uh, <laughs> has uh, tweeted a downer. this out. A big downer. Uh, NFT volumes and prices in January 2022 have been strong. 
Many say this shows how everything in crypto may not crash simultaneously again. Uh, I would rephrase that as how everything in crypto can be in different bull markets at different times. Uh, sometimes Super sector, cycle. So, like some sectors go up while some sectors go down. Um, Chris says that one could say that NFTs are at the furthest end of the risk spectrum, the most illiquid, and so the last to pump with the euphoric gasps of a dying bull. Oh, last oh. gasp of the bull market. Chris, in January. Chris, come on. We're trying to be bullish here. Uh, Chris will not be bullied into being bullish, uh, unlike most people on crypto Twitter. So he's always, he's a very independent thinker. Um, and when I hear these bear tweets out of Chris, I just like, oh, damn it, Chris. Like, God, <laughs> did you have to say that? <laughs> he might be right, though. I mean, there's he always a chance right. he's right. What do yeah. you think? He's wrong. You're betting against he's it, wrong. obviously. He's wrong. Couldn't, couldn't, be, <laughs> couldn't be a bear market. Couldn't be. It's possible. It just doesn't couldn't have. Be, Ryan. It, look. We said it last week. I'm going to double down on this. This is not. This does not feel like you know, 2018. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. different. it's different. It's different. It's different. Beeper's here. You're not Beeper's <laughs> <Bieber> here. <laughs> does that make you feel better, Chris? Oh no, that did not make me feel better at <laughs> oh, all. Oh shoot! <laughs> what have we done? Oh no, Bieber, anything get out. can happen, guys. Reminder, bankless listeners. Anything could happen. Uh, we don't know. Bull market, bear market. We're not sure. Uh, Chris reminds us of that. All right. Hey, let's talk about this. Uh, DM is selling. This is mm -hmm. Facebook's Libra turned DM project, stablecoin mm -hmm. project. You you offered a bid last week of five thousand dollars. Apparently, mm -hmm. that wasn't enough. Okay, because Silvergate outbid Bankless for DM and is now. I think they paid one hundred and thirty-two million dollars for this. Oh, that's that's oh, that's a lot. That's more than that's I would a lot. pay. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. But actually, it makes sense for Silvergate. Do you know? Uh, so Silvergate is like the the actual bank behind USDC and Coinbase. There are some other banks, but it sort of gave Coinbase and other exchanges a bank account mm -hmm. when no other banks would support them. Now they're publicly And, and that's traded. true for a lot of companies in the ecosystem. Oh, for sure. Silvergate yeah. has been like the uh, the traditional bank a, a for- pillar. Mm -hmm. yeah, because a pillar. Because everyone for, else- for Everyone else, you know, gave gave exchanges Dear John Levels yep. letters and said, get out of here. We don't right. want your business. Silvergate yep. didn't. Uh, and they have an exchange as well. Uh, like sort of a a bank to bank kind of crypto network exchange called the Silvergate Exchange Network. So I feel like this kind of makes sense for them, David. It's just Diem has pivoted to a private uh, company owned blockchain that's going to do bank to bank style transactions, and maybe oh, that Silvergate can do something with it. Yeah, still wouldn't, still wouldn't pay more than five thousand dollars for it though. Yeah, there goes the ETH killer is. Uh, Getting bought by a bank. The ETH yep. killer got bought by a bank. <laughs> Just two years later, or three years later, I should go back and read some tweets. For those that don't know that context, DM was originally, uh, it was an EVM fork, I actually think. It was a geth fork or something. And they then people were talking about like- They built their own code, but yeah. it's like going to kill Ethereum, right? Yeah, right. That was definitely one of the branding. It's like, oh yeah, this is going to kill Ethereum. And then meanwhile, it's it Facebook. gets bought by a bank. It's Facebook. What are you going to do? <laughs> oh uh, God, the irony. Look at this. Crypto leaders are launching a political action committee to back congressional candidates. So this is a PAC, right? Cool. Crypto-funded PAC. Uh, Framework Ventures is in there. Uh, FTX is in there. Blockchain Capital, Masari, Multichains, Big Money. Dan, Dan uh, Matajus, Mat I can't pronounce his last name. Dan, Dan, the guy that donated a bunch of money to Gitcoin to, for us to host Udi on the podcast. Ah, CMS Holdings. Thanks, CMS, Dan. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, anyway, they're spending $20 million on crypto-friendly politicians. And, you know, that's cool to see. That is cool. I think that's the backdrop where we get to some of these other stories. Um, last week, and this happened, I believe, last Friday after we recorded, uh, word came out about 
um, the, the SEC dropping uh, a rule, a proposal for a rule, a proposed rule. This is kind of like executive order, so it's not coming from Congress. It's not a law. And possibly broadening the definition of what a securities exchange is to include automated market makers and DeFi protocols, all right? It's unclear if that was really their intent, but they only gave the industry and everybody involved 30 days to comment. So this feels very much like trying to slip the vote through. And Hester Peirce, of course, um, dissented on this, but it feels very much to me that, that crypto is under attack maybe in the executive branch, I mean, coming out of Treasury, coming out of the SEC, coming out of some other agencies there. And I don't know what to make of it. So there's that. And then you couple that with, um, there's a, a great story in Decrypt. And if you're curious about this, we'll include a link in the show notes about the plot to hand crypt the crypto industry to the, the big banks. And the TLDR of this story is, people think, and it seems it could be the case that the Biden administration directed by Treasury and others in the executive branch, they don't like stable coins very much. They don't like the freewheeling, uncontrolled, uh, like, you know, nature of stable coins. And you can understand when you see things like Tether, um, but they're worried about this industry getting too big and, uh, you know, getting outside of the US regulatory control. So their plan, according to this article, is actually to give it to the banks, like, make the banks are responsible for it. If you want to issue stable coins, you have to go through the same steps a bank would be uh, go through it. It's unclear whether this would apply to decentralized stable coins as well, or how far they would push this in the DeFi stack. But that is kind of the the plot that uh, might be uncovered. And we're going to see a stable, I believe, a, a report from the Biden administration, uh, like this month about crypto and the actions that they intend to take with respect to this growing industry. What do you think about that, David? Yeah, it makes me think that this uh, very significant uh, amount of success by USDC and Tether has actually um, taken wind out of the sales of decentralized stable coins. Uh, because well, why do we need decentralized stable coins? Like, look at how much USDC we have. It pay is pegged to the dollar so well. Maybe this is the thing that really, um, puts the brakes on uh, things like USCC and Tether and really, really incentivizes true decentralized stablecoin uh, stable projects that we really, really need because we need more stablecoins, uh, but we also don't want them to be issued by banks. Um, I mean, even even DeFi has some amount of systemic risk in USCC alone. Uh, and so like we need to get out of, out of that. Um, for, for just a little bit of context, the USDC model and also the Tether model of issuing stable coins and then allowing anyone to buy those stable coins in, internally in DeFi is a, is a great gigantic shift in, in a paradigm. Uh, and so that allows banks who issue USDC like Circle to have some of that money be held by users that never KYC'd with the bank. Unlike PayPal, Unlike, unlike uh, uh, you know, any you know, Wells Fargo or Zelle or whatever, if, you want, if somebody needs to send you money in PayPal, both people need to have accounts, the sender and the receiver. And that is not true with USDC or stablecoins and DeFi. The buyer can buy USDC off of the secondary market and send it to someone. It's and so much better. It's so much better. And there's no KYC for either of those two people. And that's what really triggers the Like cash, state. by the yes, way. Like very like much just like cash. physical cash. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's the, taking the power out of banks. It's taking the, the ability for uh, banks to capture us away from them. And then it's also taking the ability for nation states to know where all the money is and to tax all of its individuals away from them. Uh, so there's friction here. Um, and so USCC is, this, in my mind, a very amicable, amicable middle ground yeah. be- between the desires of the nation state wanting to push dollars into all corners of the world and the in- di- desires of the individual to freely and, and op- permissionlessly transact dollars between their friends and family and whatever. Um, but the banks and the, uh, the nation states are saying, like, no, 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 like it's our way or the highway. Uh, and so uh, they are we fighting think. to we think, see. right? It's like, let's hope they don't screw it up, mm-hmm. I think, is, is the message here. And there are lots of ways they can screw it up, particularly by giving this entire industry over to the incumbents right. rather than the crypto natives. Uh, I hope you guys seems... are ready for a banked future if they get what yeah. they want. I hope, I, I hope not. This I'm seems not ready to be for that. What, I'm not ready for that. I'm I not would ready leave to the United States. Yet. You would? Oh, yeah. Uh, Where would you go? Portugal. Well, look, this is one guy who's pushing back. His name is Josh Jarrett. Josh! Quality Fitness. He is uh, the owner, the owner of Quality Fitness, also a crypto staker. Tezos. And what's he doing? He is suing the IRS. Yes. All right. This is <laughs> insanity wolf stuff. And why? Why is he suing them? Uh, it's because he doesn't think that staking rewards should be treated as ordinary income, which is sort of maybe the posture of the IRS so far. And if you are staking in an exchange, they'll issue you a tiny 1099. And they'll consider anything you know that's staked, any of the staking rewards, ordinary income. Josh is saying that we don't have clarity on that. It's actually new property, and uh, you shouldn't have to pay taxes on staking rewards as ordinary income. You should only have to pay capital gains when they're sold. And so apparently, he had a, a favorable in his district. He had a, a favorable interaction with the IRS. Um, the IRS offered him at first a refund, saying, okay, it's not ordinary income, you know, staking rewards. Uh, and uh, then he refused the offer. And then he went to court and said, no, I want more than that. I want some additional clarity. So kind of cool. It's like, it's, you know, it's small because it's in, I, I believe, some sort of district court, but um, some precedent is being set. And this is what Jake Trevinsky says about this. Josh sued the IRS for clarity on taxation of new tokens created through staking. The IRS tried to pay him off to drop the suit. He turned down the money to continue the case and seek building precedent for all of us. King. How many times do I have to play this soundboard? (laughs) You're done with me talking about it. That's what that means. (laughs) No, no, no. Great. (laughs) Dude, we need more heroes like Josh. Uh, we need Josh, more people with, uh, with spines to stand up and say, hey, the way that this is working is bad and wrong and we should fix it. Um, I, You're a I citizen. Hope- you have rights. Yes. Push yes. back against this stuff. Yes. Yeah. And use our court system for, for what it's made for. You know, some CPAs are saying, look, like, some people are saying IRS will not tax unsold staked cryptos income. It's far, far too much. It's far too early to say that right, right. now. Mm-hmm. And so we, we can't say that. But we, what we are doing is establishing some precedent in court and can continue to, to fight this. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, in India, in India, what's happening? India is proposing pretty aggressive taxes on just all crypto activity. Uh, so 30% tax on crypto income, in addition to, I think, like a 1% tax on like crypto transfers. 
So I think what that means is like, if I were to send you like USDC, Ryan, and I send you a thousand dollars of USDC, I got to pay, if I was in, in India, I would have to pay them $10. What? On, yes. Like yeah. they're at the visa network or something? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So like everything about India is just going like, Hey, that, that crypto thing that you did tax, like oh, that other crypto thing that you did tax. Uh, and so they're just trying to capture all the activity, the native Indian activity in crypto as much as possible. Do you um, see what it's paired with? So this headline is paired with, they propose a 30% tax on crypto. Meanwhile, they announced the digital rupee launch. Yeah, probably no taxes on the digital rupee. Not at all. Tax Taxing freedom to try and incentivize you into coercion. This is something that, uh, you know, remember when we had Eric Peters in the podcast mm -hmm. and we asked him the question, are you worried that like... Uh, big governments will ban crypto. He's like, no, I'm not worried. They're not gonna ban crypto. What they could do and what they probably will do is tax the hell out of it. Yeah. They'll try to disincent you from using crypto using mm -hmm. all of their traditional means. And that's what we're seeing India do here. India is doing it aggressively, by the way. That's kind of the news. Uh, it's, it's not just like, oh, India is taxing crypto. Like, no, they are taxing crypto. Yeah, uh, kind of sucks as well. I mean, Definitely some people sucks. are saying it's good that there's some additional clarity, but like mm -hmm. the clarity to me, to my mind, is, is bad news. Now, David and I aren't from India, so there might be some listeners who have better information on this. We'd be interested to hear from you what you think about this. Uh, does not seem like great news. Seems like a little nation-state hostility towards crypto. Yep. Guys, we're going to be right back with the takes of the week, get to the meme of the week as well. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. The Gemini Exchange has been my exchange of choice ever since I got into crypto. I use Gemini to both buy the dips and also manage my regular automatic monthly purchases of my preferred crypto asset. On Gemini, you'll find over 50 different cryptos, including many of the top DeFi and metaverse tokens like YFI and Axie Infinity. Using Gemini Earn, you can earn yield on your various cryptos, including 8% on the GUSD stablecoin. Gemini is available in all 50 states and more than 50 countries worldwide. So if you're looking to upgrade your crypto exchange, sign up at Gemini with Gemini.com slash GoBankless and get $15 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. That's Gemini.com slash GoBankless. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you wanna make sure you're getting the best possible price on your trade. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your trade across all the various liquidity sources in Ethereum. And is also operational on Polygon, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, and other chains. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pools the liquidity for me in a single easy to use platform and allows me to make limit on-chain orders. So you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a unique grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. 
All right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. David, why don't you start with this from Chris Dixon? Yeah, I really, really like this take. Chris Dixon says, if you think right click and save is a dunk, you really don't understand NFTs. The more copying, the more valuable. And the reason why I like this take, Ryan, is because the same is true for how blockchain networks need to be anti-fragile and resilient, is blockchain networks need as many computers to download the chain as possible. Bitcoin, Ethereum, these things survive by self-replication. And what that means is can they self-replicate like evolution and put their DNA on all the computers in the world? And the more that they do that, the better. Uh, and so when someone says like, oh, I just right click saved your NFT, I tell them, thank you for doing that. Make sure you print it out and frame it as well because I want my NFT, which is mine, not yours, to be pro like propagated all around the world. And so the more that that's why you see like cool cats on uh, the Times Square and board apes on Times Squares because we want these things to be right click saved. Like we want to lean into the right click saving. Please right click save my NFT. Please download it, make it your phone background, uh, make it your profile picture. Please, please do that. It, 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 it makes a lot of sense, right? And this is not uh, this is not foreign. I mean, we, we see it in kind of traditional art markets as well, right? It's like if the Louvre was selling Mona Lisa uh, posters in their mm -hmm. gift shop, does that decrease the value of the Mona Lisa? Right. No, right. you're propagating the Mona Lisa. You're mm -hmm. making it more valuable by doing this. You're making it a cultural icon and a staple. So not, not surprising that this is the case, but it's a very basic criticism that really doesn't understand things. Why don't you do this? Uh, this is sort of a follow-up related mm -hmm. tweet from Chris Lewis, uh, Scott Lewis. Yeah, Scott says for any for people active on social media, a hundred thousand dollar NFT profile picture will get so many more impressions per month than a uh. wristwatch that costs a hundred thousand dollars. Of course, more people choose to spend more on NFTs than watches. And Scott says, for me, over a decade, it might be point zero 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 three dollars per impression for his wow. super expensive NFT versus three dollars per impression on your super nice, awesome Rolex. So really, it's just a matter of like what lets you flex more: that super expensive watch or that CryptoPunk as your profile picture. And how and what is the ROI on the number of flexes that you can get per person versus your Rolex, where you can only wear your Rolex in real life, where on the metaverse you can flex your NFT profile picture to everyone on on the internet. And so the value per impression, while these NFTs are and these JPEGs are super super expensive, the dollar price of an impression is really really cheap, and that's why NFTs are so hot. I feel like you're selling me on that $5 billion board ape uh, valuation. I've been trying to get you to do a crypto punk for a while now, Ryan. <laughs> this is, uh, this is a really good take. This is like, I, I've never thought about it like this is what I would say. I guess the other value is like a Rolex, uh, can break, can, you know, deteriorate. Well, you can lose time. your private keys though. <laughs> I guess. Have you ever lost but your it, private keys before, Ryan? Um, I have never, no, have, I've never lost my private keys. I have keys. never had a wallet error before. I have also never done the thing where you send money to the wrong wallet, except one that. time. I have done that. Okay, I've done that once, <laughs> and I did it to my own wallet, though. Oh, I also did that. I oh, also really? did that. I, it was, I was like, like I sent I sent money to an address, and I'm like, that's not the address that I wanted to, but I yeah. recognize that address. Where are the private keys for oh, the Oh, I double-checked, and I was like, oh, shit, oh, shit, it happened. Mm -hmm. And I was like... You did it to your own my wallet. wallet. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I was tearing yeah. apart my, like my, all the places that I had. This was like a while ago. And I was yeah. like, where the God, where the hell is this goddamn private key for this goddamn wallet? And it took me like an hour and a half to find it. And I finally did. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, knock on wood, right? 
uh, it can happen. I guess that's your point. Yeah. Let's see this. Another man. It's all the takes are NFT. This must be NFT week. What's yeah. this NFT take? Yeah, this is from uh, Gabby Dizen, Dizen from uh, Yield Guild Gaming. He goes, NFT blue chips are the L1s of IP. Interesting comparison. I think he's saying stuff like uh, CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, uh, whatever other NFT projects you consider to be blue chips, I'll throw in cool cats, are the layer ones of IP. Kind of, I think it's kind of a, a riff off of the, the fat protocol thesis where like these NFT blue chips are just like these uh, blockchain native brands like Bored Apes, like CryptoPunks, like, like uh, Doodles, I guess, are now in a blue chip, like Cool Cats. These are these the like OG, like L1s, but for IP, internet native IP. Well, I, I think he's saying this is, this is Mickey Mouse, right? Mm-hmm. I think he's saying this is uh, Marvel. This is DC Comics. Mm-hmm. This is that kind of IP that people are going to build against into the future. And it could turn into, you know, sh- shows, cultural icons, movies, cartoons, mm-hmm. action figures, all sorts of things. I guess that's partially what you're you're betting on, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also seen that in the past. Oh, Here's God, another this NFT is, this is super take. Fun. <laughs> What's this? Uh, okay, so this is a facetious take. So this is person's being sarcastic. NFTs are a scam. I prefer to pay artists real money, like point zero 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 four seven eight cents to my favorite musician for my Spotify listen, or $20 for a photography print on a website that gets seven hits a day, or my favorite, one Instagram follow to a digital artist whose work I absolutely love. <laughs> so this is just like, there's a lot of NFT haters out there, uh, but then like we have to remind where we're coming from. Like uh, the alternative is like, oh, I'll pay you in likes or I'll pay you in followers. Oh, are you a really, really cool artist? Here's 10,000 followers on your Instagram. Good luck paying for dinner. Like, uh, and so, you know, this is this facetious take about how like, you know, actually NFTs are a great way to monetize art, um, which uh, there's a lot of people out in the world that are not ready to hear that take. I don't think. Money directly to the creator. That's mm-hmm. where the money's going. That's what mm. people don't understand. Um, are is we done? Is this one NFTs? Uh, no, this it, they, well, investor, this is a DC though. investor who's NFT periphery. But uh, great take. You want to read this, this one? This is more about this is more about conviction. I think yes. uh, I'll yes. read it. One of the partners at my old firm used to call me blockchain. He used to call him blockchain. That's funny. After 2017 bubble pop, to remind me of my misplaced exuberance for the technology. He got fired three years ago. Meanwhile, I quit one year ago because I no longer needed to work because my exuberance was correct. There's DC investor uh, looking at history, I guess, mm-hmm. maybe g- getting a, a, a bit of a schadenfreude. Yeah, schadenfreude. Yeah. It's my German's not great uh, out of this. What do you think? Did you get made fun of in 2017, like 2018 after the were people like, why are you still in crypto, David? It's dead. You led us wrong. You led I don't me think astray. I really was made made fun of back then, but I definitely had a harder time of convincing people to come into crypto. No, I didn't. I didn't really get made fun of. Um, People don't want to listen to you when prices right. are depressed right. like that. The very right. time they should be buying, they exactly. just think you're exactly. You know, click on uh, click on Eric Connor's uh, meme that he drew. <laughs> <laughs> So here's a DC investor's profile picture uh, at a, drawn as a re- restaurant receiving a, a poured glass of champagne while somebody in, in pain, some waiter in pain has to pour it for him. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I look, it, pay, it pays to invest with conviction, mm-hmm, at least certainly. when you're right. <laughs> at least when you're right. <laughs> All right, this is your take, Ryan. What, what, what's your take here? Yeah, my take is uh, it, this is just, you know, 
not about Joe Rogan at all, but it's about the protocol. So people want to cancel Spotify over Joe Rogan. I saw a lot of this conversation, but no one ever called for the cancellation of RSS. That's because one is a company and the other is a protocol. When Rogan switched to Spotify from RSS, he gave someone else the ability to deplatform him. I think that's an interesting take because look, mm -hmm. RSS is a protocol. It's a standard. So we distribute the bankless podcast. Lots of podcasts, po podcasters do via RSS. And any third party, a Spotify, an Apple iTunes, whatever podcast listener you, you listen to podcasts in, can subscribe and can aggregate our feed or any other podcaster's feed, but they don't control RSS. Why? Because it's a protocol. It's a credibly neutral protocol. So Apple can't deplatform us from RSS. And when there's some controversy about a particular podcast, like as there as there has been lately with Joe Rogan over you know some of his um, uh, COVID uh, conversations and stances there. Um, no one calls for the deplatforming of him on RSS because RSS can't deplatform right. you. It's credibly neutral. It's a free speech protocol. Meanwhile, if you are Spotify, you have governance, you have a management team, you have shareholders, you absolutely can be deplatformed, right? And whether you agree with jo what Jogan Rogan is doing or not is like a kind of completely besides it's the point not the here. point yeah it's not irrelevant it's just illustrating the difference between a protocol that is credibly neutral and a platform which has a set of decision makers that can deplatform you uh, and uh, relegate you to the sidelines for for whatever reason so I think that's a good thing because a lot of things in it's a good thing to realize because a lot of things in crypto they talk about themselves as if they are censorship resistant credibly neutral protocols really are they all they are if if right. they don't preserve those qualities they're just platforms they're kind of like companies rather than protocols yeah i remember when Definity, uh i think took down some nft project because it violated ip copyright laws like, yep well, well that's kind of the same thing and this is this is why a lot of uh, you know uh, cypherpunk fans all chant the chant that uh code is speech rss the RSS feed allows for free, free speech to happen. Say, for example, the United States uh, nation state decided to get super authoritarian against crypto and demanded the deplatforming of every single crypto podcast. Bankless would still be able to get out its podcast via RSS, RSS? feed. Not we have Spotify. RSS and that protocol is free speech. Spotify is not free speech. That's permission speech. Uh, and it goes down to exactly what Ryan's saying, down to our crypto protocols. True decentralized permissionless protocols are equivalent to free speech. Others that aren't done, that don't have that property are not. Yeah, great illustration there. Uh, David, what are you excited about, man? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited about ETH Denver, Ryan. I got my <laughs> ETH Denver shirt. Uh, oh, man, I didn't even notice. Right? Yeah. I think this well, what is year the, was that? This is, I think, 2018. I think 2018, yeah. Uh, actually, this might be 2019. Uh, but, Ryan, did you know that there are 25 ETH Denver and uh, uh, ETH Denver 2018 POAPs, and I own one of them. How many? Only 25. My God, that is rare. One, yeah, it look, looks very rare. Yeah, and I also had the 2020 or uh, 2019 one. Uh, I did not get the 2021 because that one didn't happen. It was live stream. Uh, but only 13 sleeps until ETH Denver. Uh, 12 sleeps for you guys since they were recording this a day early. Uh, and so that is one of the things I'm excited about, Ryan. Uh, and then the other thing I'm kind of excited about, also super excited about, I haven't, haven't totally committed to this yet, but I'm more and more every single day. 
Uh, my lease in San Diego ends at the end of May, and I'm real, real thinking about moving to Brooklyn, Ryan. No um, way. Why? Yeah. Uh, the, you want to yeah. get on the East Coast time zone, huh? Yeah, yeah. This is, well, all of a sudden, we're going to be synced up in our time zones. That's going to be weird. <laughs> um, you're you're going to have to get used to how early I wake up. <laughs> <laughs> you wake up early. Yeah. Um, just the amount of friends that I'm meeting that live in New York City and Brooklyn is just through the charts. Astro- absolutely astronomical. And there's a lot of cool things being built out there, and I want to be there for it. So I uh, might uh, F around and move to Brooklyn at the end of May. There you go. We'll see. Is, is David coming to Brooklyn? Should he come to Brooklyn? Sure, yeah. What do you think? Big, <laughs> leave a message in the comments on YouTube <laughs> if David should move to Brooklyn. Yo, David, you can sleep on my couch. I'm from Brooklyn, man. <laughs> uh, All, right. Awesome. All right, Ryan, what are you excited about? Look, this is going to sound super nerdy, but I'm pretty excited about the DCF model, discounted cash flow model that we just <laughs> saw in the podcast we recorded. But I'm excited for different reasons, right? So, like, we we knew this model existed, and um, you know, people have modeled this in the past. The, re- the reason I'm excited is because I feel like part of the the purpose of Bankless when we started this podcast and when we started the newsletter was to explain the value of DeFi and the value of Ether. That's honestly why we started it. Yep. All right, we started it in the bear market because we were like, look what's happening. Look at this thing called Ethereum. Why aren't look people paying attention to this? <laughs> Why do people keep saying crypto is only Bitcoin and also that it's dead? Right. That's all people were talking about. And I feel like it's it's working. Okay, so we had a, a, ba- a bankless listener, Ryan Alice, who came up with this great discounted cash flow model. How did he come up with it? Well, after being inspired from listening to our ultrasound money episode with Justin Drake, around last year at this time, okay? That seeded, like the seed of the idea for him and he created a discounted cash flow on top of that. Now, and he's saying, you know, 12K is conservative fair value now for uh, the price of Ether. And then we we saw earlier in this episode, a bankless listener on, on Reddit who did a riff on Ryan Alice's discounted cash flow model. Uh, more improvements for, for the model. And this is how it kind of works its way up, like an idea, a good idea, a narrative that sticks kind of goes through the forges the meme mm-hmm. forges and works its crucible. way up goes through the crucible and it starts with shows like bankless but then other smart investors are like you know what they're like, right I'm looking at the numbers yeah. and there's something here i these am bullish just, on ether <laughs> yeah these guys aren't just like the other you know shills we see on youtube there's actual like numbers and fundamentals mm-hmm. backing this stuff uh and then big name analysts start to step up and pretty pretty soon like the banks and like the you know the JP Morgans of the world, they're like, oh, we're running the numbers too, and here's our price prediction for this asset. And then you get to mainstream their acceptance, ties. wearing their ties. Then you get to mainstream acceptance where the stuff's on you know CNBC, and that becomes part of the the narrative. So mm-hmm. the cool thing I think is that uh, you know we've been part of this. If you've been a bankless listener, you've been part of this, and this is an opportunity to participate in the story to front run everybody else, and like. I'm not saying this is the last chance. There'll be tons of opportunities for this in crypto, but this is probably the most obvious chance to do that, okay? Like the merge for ETH is happening in like six months and no one's running this discounted cash flow analysis. No one's actually looking at supply and demand for this asset and being like, well, if this comes true, what is going to be the price of ETH? Uh, So you get to front run these opportunities and you get to say probably to your kids and grandkids, you were here listening to Bankless while ETH price was below 3K. Mm -hmm. That to me is exciting. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's I'm I'm just like education is alpha. We talked to Kyla about that. That's our podcast coming out on on Monday. Um, Just keep educating yourselves. Keep keep being curious about this. It's always going to be alpha. 
and uh, you know we're glad you're here. And the other thing I would say is like, what's nice about this is we're not shilling ETH. We're just saying like, we're just hey, showing run the numbers. the numbers. We're just showing the numbers. We have Come the receipts. And see. Come and see. Go check it out. The, no, the, the numbers and the metrics and the ability to evaluate these things is uh, unprecedented in the world of Ethereum. Uh, and specifically with Ether. That is why Ether is so cool, is that it, the amount of supporting numbers that you can generate to back up the things that we are saying is more than, stronger than any asset in history. And so the, ultimately, the level of confidence that Ether, the asset, will be able to instill once people get over the hump of like, oh, crypto's a scam, uh, is, is going to be uh, massive. Um, so you're right, Ryan. I'm also excited about that. You know, somebody could start a podcast, a once a week podcast on just Ether the asset. So Wait, that is isn't a, that ours? <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's, we don't do that enough. Somebody could like go really do a deep, the deepest dive into Ether the asset. What just happened like, last week? You should buy the ETH. Metrics, this is why. The, the metrics, like the updates, uh, yeah. the, the, the global perceptions around it. A once a week podcast that just, just dives into the metrics and numbers behind Ether is uh, ripe for the taking. I would be a, a frequent consumer of that podcast. Well, message to another bankless listener who, who feels inspired to do that. We're going to stop talking about Ether now. Um, no, we can't have pushed those no, sometime. No, we're not. Well, let's talk about NFTs. Let's talk about the meme of the week. What are we looking at? Meme of the week, David. Meme of the week. Uh, it's a bunch of lines, a bunch of lines all going down into the right, a bunch of different colored lines there alluding to a price, prices of your NFTs. And your NFTs are the ones that always go down, except there's that one line that goes up into the right, and that's the NFT that you didn't mint. <laughs> Sorry oh man, it. it's it's bittersweet, huh? Yeah. I guess you know turtles are are the ones on the downward side. And the one I didn't mint is up there. Yeah, the uh, green one is the board apes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I did not mint the board ape. Guys, uh, thanks for hanging with us again. Of course, none of this has been financial advice. We have no idea which NFTs or crypto assets are going to pump next, and we won't pretend that we do. Uh, ETH is risky. So is DeFi. So is all of this crypto stuff. You could definitely lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.